Welcome to the Heart Shaped Ministries podcast, where we discuss the big areas of life that God wants to transform in each one of us. Great to have everybody here. Um, I'm going to tell you some stories, and they are all true, and uh, they are heavy, but the names have been changed. And so uh, I have permission to tell these stories. And here are some stories around the issue of shame. Seven years into his marriage, Alan broke his vows. And uh, one conversation led to another, and he found himself in a relationship with another woman uh, that he did not love. And after some intensive marriage counseling, his wife did forgive him, and they got back together. But Alan could not forgive himself. Shame lingered in his heart like poison. And every time he uh, looked in the mirror, he remembered his infidelity and he would curse himself and he would speak about how you're a loser of a man. He would say those things, those kind of words to him, looking at his face in absolute disgust. Susie was seduced by an older man and she didn't know why she welcomed his advances perhaps because it was exciting, a married man uh, in gate or um, in, uh, interested in a teenager was a little bit exciting. And before she knew it, she was in this affair. After it all had finished and it all came out, uh, she didn't know why she did it. She couldn't understand. She didn't love him. Uh, it wasn't a beautiful thing. It wasn't for love. And she, in the midst of all of this, had lost her innocence. And it never occurred to her until she was talking with a Christian counselor that she was actually a victim in this situation. Until this Christian counselor said, you were actually the vulnerable one and that he was the adult. But even then, shame still lingered in her heart and she felt the shame of it all. Greg was photographed in a compromising position when he was at school. One boy lifted another boy up onto his shoulders and through a, a window at the top of the bathroom door, they photographed him. And the photograph did the rounds in the eighth grade. And uh, he felt completely vulnerable. Obviously, you would. It was There was no denying it. It was him. He felt friendless. He felt af- afraid. He felt ashamed. He left school the following year, uh, but that memory stayed with him and that experience, and he didn't tell anybody for another 30 years. Now, I could go on and on. These are the true stories of our lives. Many of you watching right now, many of us have experienced the kind of devastating sins, either that we have done ourselves or that have been done to us that leave this toxic residue of shame. Most of us know what shame feels like. You know, most sin is actually a steady burning fire. It's like a slow, steady burning fire that's consuming our integrity and it's burning up our relationships over time, things like pride or self-indulgence, you know, comparison, or maybe unforgiveness. These are a slow, steady burn that happens. But there are some sins that are so 
packed with so much toxic waste or material, I should say. And they are more like a nuclear weapon that can wreak complete severe damage and maybe even a single blow. And those kinds of sin are the ones I'm talking about tonight that will leave the residue of shame more than any others. Those kinds of sin are normally abuse. They are things like sexual sin or emotional trauma or sin that breaks a covenantal promise between two people like adultery or you know breaking promises and in, in, in those kind of nature. Those are atomic. Those sins are atomic in nature. So to help us understand the how sin can become toxic and uh, how it can overwhelm us with shame, I want to use an illustration from World War II. I'm going to show you a video here. This is from the atomic bomb explosions from World War II. You might remember two went off in Hiroshima and Nagasaki in Japan. And these are clips from the Telegraph. And I want to just warn you, they, they might get a little bit disturbing for some viewers. Just a quick warning. This is not a political commentary on the use of bombs, by the way. It's merely an illustration for comparison. And on the 6th and the 9th of August in 1945, the United States dropped nuclear bombs on those two cities, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And they were the first and so far the last use of nuclear weapons in the history of war. Now, three stages of devastation happened. The first was what we would call the thermal flash. That was when the, when the bomb first hit. And then the next were what they call firestorms. And then the third stage was radiation. These were the three stages, and I believe there's a parallel between the destruction of these atomic bombs and the atomic sin on the human soul. I want to look at that together, starting first with stage one. Let's look at these together. Stage one was the thermal flash. So the name of the actual bomb that landed on Hiroshima, they actually named it very sardonically, the little boy. So little boy dropped and when it hit, the, it instantly killed 80,000 people in the thermal flash. Now this is heat that goes off and it's up to 700, sorry, no, 7,200 degrees Fahrenheit. So that's twice the heat needed to melt steel. That is very, very hot. At that point, thousands, 80,000 died, but 10,000 more would die later on from radiation. And the blast as well, it sent from a, with a 12-mile radius. It was blowing out windows and causing shrapnel just to fly through as well, which obviously affected and killed many people as well. That was the thermal flash in the beginning. That is actually very deadly. So atomic sins. Atomic sins can create a thermal flash as well. Let me show you what happens with, with an atomic sin. First of all, on the initial impact, our sense of right and wrong is obliterated, especially in times of abuse or sexual sin. Second thing that would happen in the thermal flash of our atomic sin is the voices of reason and sanity are silenced. It's like voices, you, you, you're not even thinking reasonably any longer in an atomic sin. 
then we're blinded by the heart, sorry, by the heat of the moment, unable to understand the damage that's being done or to see the future consequences in an atomic sin. And then finally, our dignity and our self-esteem are vaporized into dust piles of disillusionment and atomic shadows of innocence lost. What happened in the thermal flash in Hiroshima and Nagasaki was people were vaporized instantly and you didn't know they existed except for the atomic, what they call an atomic shadow, which was basically uh, projected across the ground. And that's how you knew that people were there and, and died. And there is this sense that that kind of that kind of devastation can happen to us emotionally with atomic sins. You can see where shame would come in to those instances. And then you have the firestorm. This was the second stage, very devastating indeed. The firestorm was after the thermal flash. What happens in these in that situation, what happened in Hiroshima, is all these fires then started instantaneously instantaneously um, all across the area that it exploded. So fires, imagine fires burning now. And now the heat of these fires pulled together to, to, to bring it almost into a swirly, into a thermal, into, into winds um, up to 50 miles per hour. So you can imagine tornadoes of fire happening all over. And this went around for about four and a half square uh, miles of, of space. Um, burning everything up in its path. So everything being demolished by these tornadoes. In fact, what do they call them? They called them, they described them as the red ocean of fire. And here's what one historian said, Richard Rhodes said, one of the horrors of the survivors was that their world had been burned away and they were left with their burns, trying to decide where the world was. Imagine absolutely devastating. So firestorms of rage happen in our hearts when sin goes atomic, when it goes nuclear. Our emotions are highly flammable at that time. And so what happens is all of our emotions, things like love or all of them together, love instantaneously, hate, anger, trust, joy, all of that stuff just goes up into flames. Grief, fear, all of it gets set alight. All of that burning in front, raging in us. So when a fire with so many emotions are all at once, then shame erupts in that place. So now the firestorm is never contained to the situation itself or just the, the emotions themselves. It has this ability to ignite the deepest core of our identity. Shame can do that. So shame jumps the fire breaks of reasonableness. So we're no longer thinking, you know, this was a situation and we look at it as a situation. We now start to appropriate what happened to our very identity. And it jumps the fire breaks of situational awareness. And it turns that shameful moment into something of a, of a reflection or of a, what we start to believe of a lie of our self-worth. So we come to believe that our problem is not what we did or what we do, but it's who we are. And so instead of saying that was shameful what I did, we say, I am shameful. 
Instead of saying that was a failure, we say, I am a failure. And so from there, the firestorm spreads into what we would call our cognitive thinking processes. So this is what it looks like. We start to think things like this in our minds because of it. Great to see so many people here engaging. Great. Gavin, good to see you. I see you there, Gary. Thanks so much for being a part of this. These are things that happen into our, in our minds and our thinking. We start to demean with self-labeling. We, we self-label ourselves uh, things like I'm a bad person or I'm a rotten Christian. So again, we're speaking into our identity at that point. If you remember in the stories that I told at the beginning, Greg was speaking into his identity, declaring these things, degrading himself. Personalization starts. Now, what that means is that every interaction that we have is, is like a commentary on our self-worth. We personalize everything. So, oh, this conversation, they're actually, we second guess. We feel like everything's loaded. It's aimed at us. Uh, we personalize everything and we see it through the lens of our shame. Guilt proneness happens. We always assume we're the cause of difficulty in our relationships. And we might be, of course, we always contribute something to the difficulty of a relationship. Um, but we take too much upon ourselves. Thank you so much, Karen. I see you there just giving me some encouragement. Appreciate that so much. And then lastly, what happens is that we would then, it's an all or nothing kind of starts to happen in our, in our hearts. An all or nothing way of thinking spreads. So we either perfectionists or we're the absolute worst. If you remember when we spoke about patterns and how fear failure starts to come into patterns, we spoke about power dynamics and we can go violent or aggressive or silent. We can withdraw. Well, in this case, in shame, it's a similar kind of all or nothing that happens. So we either get perfectionists or we start to really feel the worst. So atomic sin burns our worlds away, including the most healthy views that we could have of ourselves. So our views of ourselves start to really go up in flames. And then we're left wondering where our world is and where we belong in it. Let me show you the last thing that happens. Well, stage three of when something goes nuclear is radiation. And radiation, what happened in Hiroshima, in milliseconds, electromagnetic energy in the form of gamma rays, um, X-rays, um, uh, uh, neutrons, these things spread out instantaneously in all directions. Waves of tiny particles, then invisible, they're odorless, they carried with them cell-damaging energy, stuff that would go inside of a person and damage their cell. So in the days and the weeks that followed, the survivors in Hiroshima were suddenly struck down with what they called this mysterious disease they called disease X. They had never seen it before. It was the first time people had understood or knew what was happening. Vomiting, purple sores, the hair loss. These were some of the things where that were the immediate results of radiation poisoning. Radiation actually damages the chromosomes, the, the DNA within the cells, causing them to no longer divide. So what happens then is the immune system fails. Immune system fails, our internal organs shut down, killing then everyone that has radiation, all of those that were exposed. And this was a slow death for many people. I know it's gruesome, gruesome to think about it, 
But see, that's that's what happens actually in shame. Shame is this poison that slowly degrades our bodies, slowly degrades our internal even processing ability in our minds and our hearts. And it stops the life-giving components, the life-giving components that, that we should be thinking, even the, the joy of those emotions that got burned up even in the firestorm that we described. Those should be multiplying, but instead of multiplying, life doesn't get multiplied. More shame gets multiplied. So this is what it looks like. Coming back to our PowerPoint, it looks like this. We treat, we sorry, we retreat into habits of avoidance or we push on with patterns of aggression. So these are some of the symptoms that shame is getting, has a grip on our hearts. We feel unqualified for, for mutually respectful connections. So what happens then is we start to tolerate toxic relationships. Have you ever experienced that in your own life where you seem to get into one toxic relationship after another and people that are toxic, you tend to start tolerating it and accepting it? That's because shame has embedded itself and the radiation of shame is working itself out in the choices that you are making in your relationships. We expect our relationships to fail. So we go in with that, this is this is not going to work kind of mentality. We doubt we start to doubt that anyone would freely choose to be with us, that nobody would really choose to be with us. And at some point, we assume that they're probably going to leave. We then were unable to be vulnerable with others. An inability to be vulnerable, we're afraid to show weakness, signs of weakness. Because we're afraid, we might get shamed once again in that situation, in, in the relationship. And then we fear criticism. We fear criticism and, and anger. We receive it as a sign of failure. Anytime that stuff starts to come and you can't handle it, when you fear keeping up, not being able to keep up appearances, or you, you avoid shame of failure, as we spoke about last week, you start getting into control patterns then through power, controlling other people, or through perfectionism, trying to control yourself, or through trying to control every cir circumstance around you which is trying to control um, you, the, your external world. So these are some of the patterns that we get into. Let me come back to our story. And then if you've got some questions and you want to start dialoguing, we'd love to hear from you. So start putting those things down into the comments section. I see my longtime friend, old friend from England, Anna. So great to see you here. Thanks. Lots of years. Oh, you can hear the South African accent, can you? So... So shall I say, is it for you? That, that's what we say here. Is it? Um, what? No, we say, uh, <laughs> I'm going to mess that up. <laughs> Lekker. So, uh, so great to have you here. I want to come back to our stories of Alan and uh, Susie and Greg. So Alan, he, they all carried shame in their hearts, uh, like radiation. And Alan ran from any kind of Christian leadership. He believed that God could never pluck him out of the failure that he had gone through. Uh, so he avoided kind of any kind of situation that would put him in a, particularly in a Christian leadership environment because of the shame. Susie tried to make up for her failure by becoming the perfect Christian. She worked hard to hide her past 
and could never get over it. And every time there was a sense of where she couldn't quite do what she was thought she should do as a Christian, all of that just came back upon her, reminding her of her failure and her shame. Greg kept friends at a distance. Um, of course, he was shamed by his friends publicly, and this kind of stuff happens all the time, especially to young people. And he always believed the worst in people, always keeping people at a distance. And as long as, as they kept, as he could keep them apart, he would be safe. The sad part about all of that is that Alan and Susie and Greg are typical examples of every single person. They are not isolated. I've been in lots of groups with men. I've been in lots of counseling situations with couples. Speak, spoke from everybody that I know has got some kind of atomic thing in their life, atomic sin that they're having to walk through. And the odds are that every single person watching this is going through something of that as well. And as long as Alan and Susie and Greg keep that atomic sin hidden, it will have power over their lives. They will keep, it will keep manifesting itself into the patterns that we spoke about last week. The fear of failure will continue to grip their hearts and it will immobilize them and keep them from doing what God would have them to do. So I want to just challenge you. If you're feeling some of these things, maybe challenge is the wrong word. I want to encourage you on a few steps. Now, next week, when we look at identity and the fear of failure, and then the following week, we're going to look at freedom in the fear of failure. I'm going to give you a lot more answers than I'm giving now. I'm raising the issue so that you might be able to start identifying some of these key things in your own life. Because then when the answers come, we'll know how to appropriate those answers to the actual issues of the problem, if that makes sense. Um, But I want to just give you something to do if you are feeling some of the things that we spoke about tonight. It's a heart reflection, and you can do it right when we stop this program tonight. You can get before God, and I would encourage you, please do so. And here's the first thing. If there are atomic sins in your life, either done by you or done to you, um, then I want you to bring those moments before God tonight and ask God for Him to give you His perspective because that's ultimately what's going to set you free. And we'll, we'll look at some of His perspective next week. What, though, would He say to you? Start asking now for Him to speak. The Holy Spirit can come and speak to you and set your heart up to hear some of the truth you're going to hear next week, but he can already start doing that work in your life. Instead of thinking, I mentioned this in the talk, that sin, instead of thinking that sin was shameful, we often think I am shameful. Instead of that was a failure, we think I am a failure. And I want you to ask before God, maybe if you've got a journal, you can even answer this question on paper. Um, How have those thoughts kept you from being all God wants you to be? How have they kept you from being? And write some of that out. Engage with some of those feelings, but how they've immobilized you. Because it's going to rise up. It's going to be this this almost righteous indignation that I'm hoping will rise up in your heart to say, I want to be free. I want to see some freedom from the fear of failure and especially shame. In what ways has shame affected your relationships? 
So now think about how the radiation of shame has filtered into your behavior, relational behaviors. Do you tend to avoid or push yourself onto others? Be honest with yourself. You avoid or do you push yourself onto others? How does it affect your ability to be vulnerable with others? And how does it keep you from receiving correction or encouragement from others? If you're willing to actually answer some of these questions genuinely, truthfully before the Lord, then you're actually on your way to seeing real freedom from the fear of failure. And over the next couple of weeks, I really believe God's going to do a great work in many of our lives. Would love to um, get any kind of engagement from you. If you, um, I can see a couple of people have uh, been commenting and we can engage with some of these comments as well. If there are any questions or thoughts that you have, uh, please do bring them. Uh, We have a few more minutes. We are doing 30 minute episodes. Karen, tell them you'll answer just now, Drew Land. Okay, so that's a reference to our South African lingo. Just now, if you've caught, caught that For any Americans watching, uh, now means just now in American and uh, immediately. And now, now means like kind of like in a minute or 10 minutes, you know, kind of in a minute now, now. And just now means it could be anywhere from two hours to two weeks later. You know, I'll tell you just now. So I'm going to tell you just now, which is next week. Thank you, Karen, for that little. And then Kwabena. Thanks, Kwabena. Grade nine history class. I guess you looked at Hiroshima. Um, in that time as well. I don't see any uh, comments around. Yeah, I think, I think I'm getting more comments about our South Africanism than about some of the things we're talking about tonight. Um, and this is a heavy topic, so I wasn't expecting a whole lot of people to uh, necessarily share. Um, but I do appreciate you coming on and looking at this. Let me remind you, if you want to listen to these things, you can go onto the podcast and you can hear them quickly. You can uh, share that content a little bit easier from uh, podcasts. So please do that. And again, let me remind you, we're talking about the identity and the fear of failure next week as we look at some of the answers that God has given us. I really appreciate you uh, coming on and listening. And let me just pray. I often uh, always actually pray as we kind of close because I really truly believe that there are people that are listening to this, um, that God wants to do something deep in. And I know nowadays we have, um, it's very easy to just watch and not necessarily participate. Um, but I want to, I want to just start praying that God would actually grip your heart in this stuff. Lord, thank you for everybody watching. And I pray, Father, that if there's any shame that needs to surface, I pray, Father, that it would. I pray, Father, that you would put people alongside that can be trusted friends or mentors or peers that can actually handle some of the stuff that needs to come out of some of the people that are watching today. And you would help give the gra- give them grace, Lord. Help them be able to say with their words, to actually confess with their mouth from their heart the, the pain or the issue that's been holding them back. Father, please give them that grace so it will no longer be in the dark, but will come to the light. And it's in the light that you do your best work, God. So we thank you, Father, would you do that for every single body, every single person listening. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, if you do have a friend that you can talk to or a trusted Christian leader, um, if you do have shame, and if there's something that you've never spoken to anybody, speak it to somebody. 
this week. Anything that's hidden, the enemy can use against you, and he probably has in many, many ways. Soon as it's out, in the light, freedom starts. I can't wait to talk more about freedom next week as we look at the wonderful truths of what your identity really is in God. <laughs>